Redraft is the most commonly used setting in fantasy baseball. Points, 5x5, head-to-head, roto, best ball, even DFS get heavy action in redraft leagues. And then there's the smart people, the dynasty players, and they want the info that others are not willing to seek out. We hit up the top 50 impact players from 2020 to 2024 right frickin' now. It's time for dingers. This is dingers. Way more than fantasy baseball. We keep it real when we talk and knock it straight out the park. <laughs> Let's see the stats. What's the average draft position? What kind of plays you making? Check the wins above replacement. Check the lineups and the points. This I gotta see. What's your path to victory? Are they aiming for a dynasty? Get points going head to head. Please don't do me no favors. We're always watching waivers. Ain't no minor league. This is major. Yeah. Dingers. Let's go. Welcome to Dingers, the only fantasy baseball podcast for smart people. It's not just Wander Franco that wins you championships. That's why week in and week out, we're delivering tips and strategies to help you live that straight up OG lifestyle. I'm Tyler Childs. Joining me again, as always, is Robert Rose. Welcome to the show, Robbie. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. Thank you, Ty. You could also find me or call me Robbie Baseball, Robbie Baseball One. Uh, Twitter or the dingers pod on Twitter or yourself at tourney boss on Twitter. How are we like, you? We like Twitter. I'm excellent. <laughs> yeah. Actually. It's, yeah. Uh, we like Twitter. It's been good and interactive for us. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh it's a Thursday night. Um, I'm pretty happy with the week so far. I've had a lot of fun in the, the office. I'm really excited with all the drafts that we have going on. It's awesome time to be alive and is that the sport travel radio office that we are a proud partner of that is that is where uh head office is the sport travel radio network is located there we we record three of our four wonderful podcasts uh in-house which is ours the dingers podcast tournament talk and the poor poor sports podcast is also set up and recorded in the studio there but we do have our our one Lone Ranger on the road, and that's our boys over at From the Back Tees, who are getting ramped up for golf season right now. Uh, they are so getting some great interviews. My goodness. It's awesome. I'm loving their stuff. And I know Tucker is on site this week at Torrey Pines uh, out in San Diego. I just I was at the course actually a couple weeks ago, in, right before Christmas, and it, they were just tearing stuff down and getting it ready for the event. So really cool stuff. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Does Tiger win at Torrey. He is traditionally really good at that course. I'm excited, uh, but I'll leave them to their golf discussion. This is a baseball podcast. We're, we're looking at you smart people and what do you got going on tonight? Let's hit the, hit the, hit the button here, Robbie. A long time ago, someone decided to put stuff in glass bottles. In some of these bottles, they put juice or milk and that was stupid. Today, only alcohol and a few other products remain in the containers from the gods. It's time for beers and bourbon, because good advice only comes in a bottle. Oh, nice one. Oh, it smells good tonight. What, what, do you, what do you have on tap this evening, Rob? 
I will be perfectly honest with you, Ty. I found a couple couple more rolling rock. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, One was in my hockey bag and uh, (laughs) it's okay. You know what we were talking about before we got on the show here, how we could use our favorite Canadian references and, I found my beer in a hockey bag is exactly how you cue in this. Yeah. Cause that that's pure <laughs> that's Canadian true. culture right there. Yeah. And she's, uh, she's dented beyond belief. Uh, it was in with the skates, but, um, yeah, so it was in there. And then I found three more that were loosely placed in the garage on top of uh, this one of the side cement pads and then just buried with some of my construction gear, which uh, happy to announce, I have now started the painting and priming process. Life is good. Uh, things are moving forward and I should be onto flooring within a week. Um, <laughs> but that's why I'm drinking Rolling Rocks. I found it and I did bring myself down a little taste of heaven a little uh, Waterloo craft lager after I down this. Uh, well, nobody needs to know how many rolling rocks I've had before I got down here. Um, more than, more than one, less than five. Uh, and then I'm going to switch to the Waterloo craft lager and Ty, what are you bourboning tonight for us? I went back to the Basil Hayden, which is one of my favorites. It's uh, it's a bottle that I, I can find readily available uh, so I like to to make sure the cabinet is well stocked with my friends from the Basil Hayden distilleries. So um, I got that. And, you know, again, shout out to my dev team who for Christmas got me some Amaze balls to keep my bourbons nice and cool. So uh, kudos to that. That is uh, ready to rock here. So let's dive in. Quick recap from last week, Robbie. Do you want to run through our final five picks? We're going to dive back into our top 50 prospects. We got pretty much halfway through uh, last week, and we're going to get into the top 20 this week. So do you want to recap real quickly, Robbie? Sure. Did you want to do MLB news and notes since it's quick, or did you want to just get into the heart of the prospects? Well, I want not to make everybody wait the prospects. Um, and, and, and that's a great point um, because in order to be a smart person, you have to have patience. So let's get into MLB notes first <laughs> and then we'll come back. We will be brief, I swear, people. Um, MLB news and notes. So most recently, we had uh, Marcel Ozuna sign a one-year deal in Atlanta. Uh, do you want me just to rhyme them all off here, and then you can just recap? Because we don't need to talk about most of these. Yeah, let's do it. Alex Gordon re-signed one year plus uh, four million plus incentives with the Royals. Matt Weeders back to St. Louis to back up Molina. Uh, Robert Ramos, former Colorado first base prospect, we talked about on a previous pod. His contract was sold to the Twins after his 2019. Huge numbers finally kind of broke out. Um, not sure exactly what Minnesota is doing other than getting some really good first base depth. Uh, Neil Walker signed a minor league deal with Philadelphia. Again, Philly doing good things, getting some minor league depth. Well, I mean, it's a minor league contract. Um, and then Mitch Hanniger out six to eight weeks. I think it was a core um, surgery that he needed something to do. I, I feel terrible for Mitch Hanniger. I feel terrible for Mitch Hanniger owners. Um, it has not been a good run since he really broke out with Seattle in, uh, was it 17 or 18? He's, just, he's been hurt so often. It feels like he's been hurt for years. But um, those are the notables, which tells you at what point in the offseason we're at that we're not even going to mention the potent the, notables. Yeah. The potent, potent notables. Yeah. We're not even going to mention the Dominic Leone signing and all the other, because we just know that that's not anything that even the deepest of dynasty leagues need to worry about at this time of the year. 
Absolutely. I mean, the, the one here for me that I think is worth really noting is the Marcelo Zuna one on a one-year deal, apparently turned down several multi-deal deal offers or multi-year offers, sorry, uh, to sign with Atlanta, which says two things for me. Either he was asking for too much and didn't get it a la, you know, Moustakis uh, of the past, or he, uh, or, or nobody was he wants giving... to win. I think um, it says he wants to win. Don't you? He takes a one-year deal, decent coin, not to I mean, like screw like himself. It. He didn't take an $8 million deal. He's getting 18, I, right? I like Atlanta a lot. I don't know that they're World Series ready, so I don't know if it's a <sighs> long to win. Oh, my uh, apologies to all the the Braves listeners, Braves Nation okay. out there. The yep. Tomahawk Chop, just hit him up at Tourney Boss and send him your hate. Bring it. Uh, <laughs> losing Donaldson is going to hurt them a lot more than they think. Uh, Ozuna is not the replacement to replace the experience of bats that you got from Donaldson. Uh, Do you said, think – sorry, Ty, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think it says more about what they think about their outfield prospects and Waters and, and Pache. I think it really says Pache is going to be the guy that's uh, – on the way out maybe potentially and or doesn't fit the profile they want for their roster right now. Yeah. I think it pauses on their peak for this year outside of injuries. However, do you think this now means Austin Riley is either an MLB third baseman or he is a triple a outfielder, third base type, you know, the quad, the typical quad a guy that just can't do it. I, I think they know uh, what they've got in Austin Riley. I think they understand what he is and isn't. I think uh, if you're going to put Marzo, Marce, uh, Marcelo Zuna in the outfield, uh, you don't care about defense. So why not throw Riley at third base? I don't disagree. Like, I mean, you can have him uh, kind of stick closer to third and then have Swanson move over, you know, Albies move over to the center um, of the diamond a little closer and put a bit more pressure on Swanson to perform defensively if you're concerned with that. But I was just wondering, since that is the position that was kind of the focus with the Braves all off season and they didn't address it or haven't yet. And I mean, you know, the, what's the big fish left out there beyond Castellanos? That's it, right? Like, yeah, that's kind of the only one. There's no nobody that can really impact the infield the way like the there's Braves Puig, to. But yeah, but you know, uh, Castellanos even as an outfielder. Yeah, I think you're right. Like it's the availability of game changers is limited now to kind of Castellanos and Puig, and then there'll be you know there'll be somebody somewhere that we're not talking about yet um, that's going to well, make a big impact. There's rumblings this evening that bets might finally be on the move. Sounds like the Padres might have. Uh, opened up some of their prospects to a deal that they weren't previously willing to include. So I might mean Morahan or Luis Patino. I doubt it's going to include um, Mackenzie Gore. I just don't think that's a realistic option. If San Diego does that, they're silly for one year of guaranteed bets. So, um, you know, lots of stuff still could happen in the Arenado saga. Who knows what's going on over there? They seem to be a little more tight lipped at this point than they were a week ago, but a uh, lot still that could happen. We got what 20 days here before we really see spring training start to kick up. So uh, not a whole lot of runway left, but uh, certainly enough time for drama. Yeah. And I, I, I know after Tulo was in Toronto, the following spring training, I think there was some kind of a little verbal dust up between him and Arenado. Um, so it's not like it's the first time that Arenado has spoken his mind. And I think that's fine. Like if somebody, isn't happy with the way the organization is treating him. I mean, the guy signed a huge deal last year and within 
13 months or 15 months of that contract being signed, there's already talk of him being shopped around, you know, like get your, get your head on Colorado. Like he, this is your franchise. And if you don't like them, do it silently, you know? The only, the only argument I have going back the other way is these players are all looking for opt-out deals now. Like you can't, you can't on the flip side of that say like, well, we're protected as an organization because they're not anymore. Right. So, you know, you have to understand that if, if they hear rumblings, like they have to think about it because you, you've decided as a player that you no longer want to give the team the security of knowing you're around for X period of time. You want to have options. And as a good player, you have the rights, but on the flip side of that, the team also has the same rights to trade you if you're going to ask for those sort of things. So it's a two way street and you know, I I don't like hearing one side or other win out because that's not the reality. Uh, A good contract means both people feel like they got screwed. Yeah. And I will say this is something that I just um, heard a couple days ago about the Ryu deal with Toronto that I didn't realize goes perfectly to your point about uh, if both guys feel screwed, Ryu got a no trade clause in that deal. So if, the Jays are trying to ship him out for performance or injury issues where you can just stop that clear out. And he cannot be assigned from what I gathered. Uh, he cannot be taken off the 40 man and assigned to triple a, uh, without having the option to be released outright. So kind of an interesting little bow to tie on that Ryu deal. Um, there very well may be something else that I'm not aware of on that, but when I had heard that I checked it out and it's not available in print. Uh, but well, this was from a Blue Jays insider who said from it. From what I had seen in that deal, uh, they talked a lot about Ryu wanting to anchor down his family. And so I think that right. has a lot to do with relocating them to another country and getting them into school and all that stuff that comes with it. So I think this is a commitment from the Blue Jays to say, we want you to call Toronto home. And and I and I think they have to kind of do it to to get people to come north sometimes. And, you know, from a risk standpoint, you know, if he's injured, that's about the only way I don't see him performing in my opinion. I agree because he knows how to pitch and it's not hundred mile an hour heat that is going to cool down over the next four years. It's a lot of uh, pitching placement and uh, yeah. Anyway, we could go on off topic about that all night, but let's uh, sashay our way back to the prospect countdown. If anyone's listening out there, the 50 through 20, we went through on the previous podcast. So please circle back to that. We also discuss how we break down this prospect list. And to give everybody a quick recap, we have five equally weighted um, areas in which we do that. That is our video. That is the, uh, sorry, like video scouting. That is the proximity to MLB, the depth of the organization. We've got their, um, ETA timeline, double AA, A, triple A stats. Uh, we are encompassing everything that we can think of that helps out a dynasty owner and makes you a better team sooner than later. It's great to pick up a whole bunch of the uh, teenagers that just signed in the J2 class. Uh, flash news here for you, da, 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 red alert. You will not hear Jason Dominguez in the top 19 for us for this year. He is not going to be able to make a significant impact by 2024. And that is our parameters, our 2020 to 2024. So Ty, did you want me to do 30 to 20 or did you say 25 to 21? I like 20? 25. I don't, I yeah. don't know that we need to, to you get You want the rest of the back. info folks? Go listen to the episode. <laughs> Absolutely. Total clickbait. So 20, <laughs> 25 <laughs> for us, and this is a perfect place to start, Ty, is Kyle Lewis, Seattle outfielder. He will be 24 uh, this year, 29 when the year ends. And with the Mitch Hanniger news, this is going to help him 
possibly get even higher up. He should get the full year at Seattle, barring some injury. 24, Ryan Mountcastle. 23, Brendan McKay. 22, Brady Singer. 21, Nick Solak. And 20 is Spencer Howard of the Philadelphia Phillies. And some way, somehow, Ty, I was able to make Spencer Howard and his report that I wrote up disappear. Well, good for me. Thanks, technology. <laughs> Screwed me again. Um, so, yeah, anybody else that you want to touch on with that as a quick recap here? Yeah, I think the one guy that I, I want to highlight on, and I can't say it enough, is, is AJ Puck. I think he is the most underappreciated top 50 prospect right now. And that doesn't 37 mean gonna, on the dingers list for the listeners. And, 37. And it doesn't mean that he's not going to be rated on most people's list. I think it's just that he's a guy that could creep into this top 10 um, if he can stay healthy. So I just, I like his upside. Uh, I think the injury, the recent injury history says be careful, but I, I love his stuff. I like him as a long-term option. Um, and I do not up. disagree. Yeah. I simply have other players that, uh, I had considerably higher. And when we did our mixed rank, this is what we came up with. And as Ty said, this is the last time we are going to do a mixed rank because <laughs> we are going to have our own and we are going to have a com combination rank, but we certainly want to make it clear to all the listeners out there who we're high on as individuals, who we are low on as individuals. Um, in addition to the fact that when we meet in the middle, um, we still think we're doing a pretty good, pretty good job well, of keeping our range together. We really just want to be able to say who's right and who's wrong. Uh, well, yeah, really. <laughs> it's a contest saying. within a contest. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, you know, before we move on, like I look at AJ Puck as like that beer in your hockey bag, just a forgotten soldier. Yeah. And, and he's definitely got some dents in him. <laughs> uh, so I'll go through 19 to 15 here and we will touch on the guys right after. Uh, number 19 is, Christian Pache, Atlanta Braves outfielder, age 21, will be 26 at the end of this. Number 18, Patrick Sandoval, Los Angeles Angels starting pitcher, age 23 through 27. Alex Baum, Philadelphia Phillies third base prospect, 23 through age 28. Andrew Vaughn, first base, Chicago White Sox, age 22 to 27. And number 15, Alex Kirilov, Minnesota First base, possibly outfield, age 22 to 27. So, Ty, do you want to circle yeah, back to... baby! Yeah. Thank you, Austin. Do you want to circle back to 19 and we can start going through? I know we touched on Pache off when we were talking about Ozuna. I, I think, you know, I think people get the idea where you're thinking this might be going for him. Yeah, I, I think there's a real shot for him to get into the pros this season if there's some injuries. I think Atlanta, you might see them move Ender and Ciarte still. I think that's an option that they're going to be looking at. I mean, they don't really need a whole lot of extra outfield depth. Uh, they don't need anything really in their bullpen or rotation wise for depth. So, you know, you look at that left side of that infield and that's the glaring weakness uh, of this Atlanta Braves roster. And it's really not that poor. Austin, Austin Riley, uh, Austin Riley. Yeah, that's right. I don't have a brain fart. Um, and and Danzy Swanson are, are there. Both guys can hold their own. Uh, they both have their own little flaws. But, you know, Pache is a guy that I just think is a really good fourth outfielder. I just I don't see him as a star. And I think because of all the pitching depth in that Braves organization, he gets a lot more clout than, you know, is maybe really deserved. I mean, you might feel a little bit different on this one. Robbie, but I, I'm just not all that excited about Christian Pache. 
Well, I know because as people go on here, you're not going to hear Drew Waters' name. Um, Waters is not in our top 50. And one of the reasons when we were talking about it before was that we felt of the two to kind of look into and focus on, Pache was going to more than likely be better. We wanted to try to um, align a little more with the high upside, which I think Pache has a higher upside than uh, Drew Waters. And you had mentioned here, Ty, in the notes about Anthopolis, as a very slick general manager, um, moving and promoting players quickly that he may feel could be overrated and trying to increase the trade value of those players uh, with your side note, just stating that, you know, Ozuna signing kind of speaks to that point that he wasn't ready to bring those boys up much like last year when we were talking about uh, Austin Riley being a top 20 prospect. Um, Atlanta wasn't ready to just hand him third base. You know, they signed Josh Donaldson for a reason. And now we just talked off the top about questions about Austin Riley, possibly not even, you know, being a stable MLB player, let alone a third baseman because he ended up last year as an outfielder. So um, for me, yeah, Pache, this is, this is, this makes sense to me. That I, My concern is that like the reason he's such a highly touted prospect is because of his ability on the defensive side of the ball. He's got a 65 grade speed, 70 grade fielding overall and, and his arm, he's got an absolute cannon. So for me, I'm really concerned with the hit tool capping out at 45 and then his game power is not overly impressive. So is he going to be an MLB at some point? I, I think so. I mean, yeah. the defense alone is going to get him there. And, and I think for that, reason alone as as an nl prospect he's gonna get time i just i see him as a really strong fourth outfielder that's gonna probably get to play a lot of games in center field um and so that's the concern is do you move acuna when pache is ready to make sure you protect acuna from the rigors of playing center field yes and i think we were also talking before about whether we were going to discuss things based on tiers and we agreed that that was not the right way to go uh, to do a prospect list because you don't want to say this is a top tier, second tier, et cetera, because you're unintentionally hurting a player when they haven't done anything to truly deserve it. And Christian Pache, as you just said, is going to get at bats and that is going to create opportunity for him in points leagues. He could be more valuable than in categories leagues. As long as he is not, um, Almora out with the White Sox. This is, or sorry, with the Cubs. Uh, this should be just fine. He is ranked 19th after all on this list. So um, going up to the next guy, Patrick Sandoval, who uh, you and I discussed the fact that things are um, not what they appear when you look at the name Patrick Sandoval, but when you look at the stat line, uh, things seem to line up uh, both do and don't. So uh, Sandoval is going to be 23 at the start of this season. He had a really rough 2019 overall. However, his 2018, he went through three levels and had 122 innings pitched with 145 Ks. His whip was 0.95. Um, the walks were pretty low. Where are we looking here for walks? 40, 29 walks, sorry. And then last year, his ERA as well, just over two, 206. And then last year, he was at double-A, triple-A, moving quickly and up to uh, MLB. And he had a rough go of it. His ERA was over five, um, but he was, still was able to keep his strikeouts well over um, 10, uh, 10 per nine innings. And the walks, 
got a little bit higher in double and triple A. And he, he started to, I think, started to figure himself out. And I've kind of written here that Sandoval's got the stuff. The double A numbers are great. Short stints in, tri- in triple A and MLB didn't do it. But I can certainly see him taking the stud-like turn that Aaron Judge did. Um, it's a risk. It's something that I'm willing to take in Dynasty. I have knocked on the door of every Sandoval owner and I am now in talks. And hopefully before this airs and any of them listen, a deal is done. And I can have Patrick Sandoval, who uh, will not have his rookie status very long into 2020 because one of those seven Los Angeles Angels pitchers is going to get hurt and he is going to slide into that rotation. And I truly believe solidify himself for the next five years. Yeah. I mean, the reality is like some of the the numbers in the upper minors and into the pros are a little scary for obvious reasons. I mean, for me, it comes down to one thing and that's fastball command. I think command is one of the knocks really on his total overall value. He's a guy that has a bit of a higher floor. You expect him to kind of level out. It just really comes down to similar to like a guy like Keichel, like if he can spot up that fastball and put himself into scenarios where he can really make you chase outside of the zone with his other stuff, then ultimately I think he can be somewhat effective. Is he going to win a Cy Young? I don't think Patrick Sandoval is going to win a Cy Young, but is he the kind of guy that can creep down the draft board and he can get a ton of value out of him? That's where I see Patrick Sandoval. I really like him as a value play more so than I like him as like a super high end prospect. And it's important to keep in mind, like when we're talking about these prospects, like even inside this top 20, it's a whole bunch of high caliber guys. Like only 10 of these guys are going to be really good baseball players. And it's important. If 10 of them are really good, I I think that's above average. Totally. I agree. Um, And and I think that's the thing people forget, especially in deeper dynasty formats where you can kind of hold on and shine up all your pennies, as we always say. Um, That's that's where I see Sandoval, though, is a nice guy. It's going to be underappreciated. The kind of guy that's, you know, is the SP4 or 5 year in and year out, and nobody really notices. Yes, I, I agree with that. I know this is Sandoval is going to be a guy that uh, listeners might be questioning, and that's totally fine. Um, we are not just going to make the list that everybody else is going to make. If you know uh, how we came up with everything, you know the five points that we have judged this off of. Sandoval is certainly somebody that will kind of look out of place here, even within the top 30. However, next five years, we get to play it out. We get to uh, raise our hands in glory at the end of this. Um, Just like the next guy, Alec Baum, Philadelphia Phillies, third baseman, our 17th ranked. Uh, He has been hitting them last year. He hit that, 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 where was his bomb? His dinger rate was 21. I almost said 14, but that's what he did at double a in part of a season last year. And bomb played, he started the year um, in Lakewood in the Sally league where he was just a little bit older than the middle age. And then everywhere else as the season went on, he was younger at every age up to double A where he was just over two years younger, but uh, he did some good damage with a plate appearances at where are we here? At bats 475. He had a 305, 378, 518 slug good enough for an 896 OPS. And I think truly moved up the ranks within the Phillies as kind of the 27th to 28th man. I can certainly see Alec Baum coming up early next year and sticking around what could be a deadly Phillies lineup. Yeah, I agree. I I like Alec Baum a lot. I think it's a big reason uh, they've signed all these infielders to one year deals. I think, I think there's an outside shot. We see him in the middle of the summer. Um, 
you know, just as a bit of a pipe dream here for fantasy owners. I, I like him a lot. I think there's tons of upside here. And, you know, that the one thing I question about Philly, I think they've got a lot of things going on that are excellent and, and drool worthy, but that middle of the lineup is not overpowering, right? You got Reese Hopkins, Hoskins and uh, Bryce Harper. And that's kind of in, in Riamuto, I guess is, is kind of there if he can maintain, but that that's my concern is they're missing that dominant power bat to support Bryce Harper. So that's, that's kind of where I, I want Alex Baum to be there. I want him to fall in line right behind uh, Harper, but I just don't know if he's ready yet, but we'll see this year if he can make that jump uh, at the high levels. Yeah. His only struggle at all last year was when he got to double a with his average, which um, was two sixty nine. but he roughly between low and high a had about the same number of at bats um, or sorry, plate appearances somewhere in the low twos. And he was able to hit well over three thirty at those levels. So he dropped down about 60 points at that point, but he was still able to maintain a good OPS at double a over eight forty four because he's getting a lot of power into that swing of his. And again, I mean, like this is a guy who didn't have the best pro season. Uh, it was shortened with what was it? 140 at bats. He had 252 uh, average with a 659 OPS last year. He came in and really kind of stabilized himself. I think this year he should start again at double a and probably move up quickly. And we've been hearing a lot about triple a pitchers, or sorry about teams not needing to put their best prospects into triple a anymore. Um, this is something that was going on maybe 15 years ago, a little bit more where teams would have their, depending on where their triple a team was, they might have smaller parks. I know with Vegas, when they were with the Jays, the Jays would often leave their guys in New Hampshire and bring them straight up instead of going to Vegas where they're just going to get knocked around. Um, they would move them up. So bomb could be a similar situation on the other side where he just goes up and has a quick pit stop in triple a on his way up to the bigs. You never know one injury away, right? If Gene Segura is either going to second or, um, King Reed to third, you know, I'm not sold on either of those guys really sinking yeah. into that position. So, yeah, I'm with you. The, the thing that I like about bombs profile is just that the play discipline is there for a guy with huge power upside. That's a profile I get excited about because I think the biggest risk on power guys is they're usually swinging for the fences. So if I see like a high grade, like this is, you know, we talked about, uh, 70 grade earlier with Pache's defense. Uh, but now we're talking Alec Baum, raw power is grade 70. So love to see that with a, a really reasonable strikeout number about in the high 12% range last season. So I, I like where this can go. I think you're going to see him move rather quickly. Uh, and I know that I'm super excited for it. And, and again, college bat guys, college bat alert. Yeah. And following that up with Andrew Vaughn, who we've got at 16. So Vaughn, the first baseman, uh, where was he drafted? Was he third this year? In the yeah. MLP? Yeah. There's so many rookie drafts we do that sometimes you just forget. <laughs> yeah. So it was, yeah, him wit and, uh, then Vaughn came in. So, uh, Vaughn will be age 22 to start and 27 at the end of 2024, uh, more than likely based on the moves the white Sox have made, they have pushed his likely MLB debut to the second half of 2021. Uh, however, they do have Edwin and Abreu both on one-year deals. So that certainly could be an early start uh, for 2021 for Vaughn. Um, but 
Grandall could even, you know, take some first base time away. Um, again, a college, a college hitter here. So this is somebody who we know has the power and has a pretty good eye. Let's see here for the walks here, Ty. He had last year, 30 walks to 38 strikeouts in 205 at bats once he was a pro. So things are looking good. Andrew Vaughn. And I, and I think he may get an aggressive assignment this year too. Uh, I could see him being bumped to Birmingham and double a for the white Sox Cause it's a little bit more warm weather and they want him to get a little good, a quick start rather than uh, high a Winston Salem. I could see him skipping that level because he is a little bit more of a polished bat. So be interesting to see where the White Sox put him and and how fast they move him along. But I'm with you. 21 is the realistic arrival, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if they want to bring him along for a September ride if they're in competition. Yeah, and I know that the roster rules change. Some guys were talking about in one of our uh, leagues today that it's no longer the 40-man expansion. I think it goes to 28 or something like that come September. So fantasy, I don't know if that if anybody is going to try to adjust their leagues. I know we had one of our uh, league sharks suggest that that would be a good idea um, because he likes to think that he'll be still playing in September. But um, it, it will be interesting to see if he is one of the kind of the chosen ones that gets to go up, but a lot has to do with his season. And he did play 107 of his 205 at bats at high a last year um, with really good success. So uh, I, I can certainly see that aggressive assignment you, you talked about. So um, hitting here now, we can go from 15 down to 11. We've got at 15, Alex Kirloff of Minnesota, first base outfielder, Evan White, Seattle first baseman signed the big contract. Nate Pearson, starting pitcher, Toronto Blue Jays. Jared Kelnick, outfielder, Seattle. Casey Mize, starting pitcher, Detroit. So we did mention Kirloff off the last one and we didn't actually talk about him, but the situation is a little murky in Minnesota now. He did not have the best season last year and Miguel Sano got locked up. Josh Donaldson got signed. Um, Minnesota just traded for Roberto Ramos. Uh, they seem to have a lot of first base depth. Is Kirilov still going to be that first base prospect? Or do you think this series of moves is pushing them to the outfield? Well, I mean, my I think the big question mark for me is two things in Minnesota. Can Byron Buxton actually stay healthy, first and foremost? Because that obviously moves Max Kepler uh, potentially around the, the outfield. Um, and, and is Eddie Rosario anywhere close to what we saw last year coming back this season? So I, I, as much as I think there's an opportunity for Kirloff to be blocked, I think there's an equal likelihood that somebody gets out of the way on their own and we see Kirloff faster than we're expecting to. I, I love this kid's hit tool. He's a full field hitter. I don't know that he's ever going to be the 40 home run type. I love him to be kind of that 25 290 guy, uh, maybe a Frank the Cat Catalanato type. Uh, just a really nice balanced hitter that you saw late in the Cat's career. Yeah, and and 2018 was the year and the reason why Alex Kirloff has been given such lofty expectations. He had a 348 batting average with a 970 OPS, 20 home runs as a 20-year-old playing in uh, low and high A. But then last year, we played the full... So again, this is kind of reminiscent of uh, Andrew Vaughn, a full season at AA, the aggressive assignment you talked about Vaughn possibly getting. 
And in 375 at bats, a 283 average with 343, 413 slug, four, a 756 OPS, which is not dazzling and not overly encouraging. However, his walk to strikeout ratio is just over two to one, but that's okay. You know, he's not striking out 150 times in 375 appearances. You're not overly worried about him as a boomer bust. I think it's just this lowered his ceiling perhaps last year, but the floor on Kirloff seems to be pretty high. Yeah, I, I think the floor is very high. And I think this is the kind of guy that you see his power develop really, really late. And I think he might limp into that first major league season with like five to 10 home runs before you see the power jump um, with a, just a little bit of development. So kind of, I think he falls in line with like an Andrew Benatendi power profile, like just a really good hit tool. And we all assume there's going to be some balls that leave the yard. I think that's where you're going to find uh, an Alex Kirilov by the time we're all said and done. And last year, as just to cap that off, he was over two and a half years younger um, than the average competitor at the AA level. So as a 21-year-old, he did some pretty solid damage. Hence, the number 15 ranking. Moving on to the number 14 ranking, Evan White. It was kind of a toss-up between the two. Um, you give the edge to Evan White on account of what's gone on in Minnesota. It has less to do with the player's ability and more to do in this particular instance with the fact that Evan White has a clear path to playing time for a long time versus Kirloff, who maybe doesn't even see any time in 2020 um, because he still hasn't had a AAA at bat. Although Evan White has had, what, 18? <laughs> um, yeah. But Evan White signed the big deal. Uh, he shot his way from a second-tier prospect in 2018 and added some power to his game and some really good discipline in 19 and capped it off the offseason with that big contract. And he is now primed to be a core piece for the Seattle team moving forward. So Evan White was probably on everybody's radar at the midpoint of last season. And through my love of Jerry DePoto, I was all over him and was unable to acquire him anywhere. Do you have any shares of Evan White? I do not. Uh, it's mainly because I've been grabbing old shares of Paul Goldschmidt everywhere. Oh, that's true. And I lied. I did trade um, Ryan Mountcastle for Evan White straight up in a Ooh, points league that I, I thought, that well, I know. See, I thought that was a good deal at the time. And now in one of our new leagues, our um, listener league, our Roto, I picked up uh, Ryan Mountcastle today, in fact, simply because I wanted to protect myself. Although Ryan Mountcastle is 24th on our list, Evan White is 10 above him. So, um, yeah, Evan White should, like we said, start this year off with the big club. Um, it's an, I don't know, it's it's a murky situation in Seattle as far as if he's just going to be handed the job. Uh, I think, I don't know. Do, do you feel like he's just going to walk in and take it? I do. I, I'm not, I don't see a lot in Vogel back outside of his 10 home runs in like the first 12 days of baseball season last year. Vogelback yeah. was very unimpressive. So Seattle I think started great. What's what's your boy, the guy that you love, the catcher turned whatever position he can get at bats? Austin Nola. That guy, yeah. I, I don't I don't think that's gonna stop the potential you know, franchise pillar of Evan White. Uh, I think it's gonna be you're gonna wanna see him and Kyle Lewis back to back in the lineup at some point just to get a feel for what that looks like down the road. I mean, Seattle can't realistically want to compete this year 
with the options that are out in that AL West division. The Astros are going to have something to prove. The athletics are still very good, if not better than last year. Uh, you got to figure the angels have taken a step forward. So if I'm Seattle, I'm getting those guys in there. I want to see what Evan white can do. I don't think Austin Knoll is a guy that I want to hang my hat on for the long haul. I'm not saying he can't be a very serviceable player. I know you love him. I just don't know that I'm going to block Evan white's long-term trajectory for a couple at bats for, from Austin Nola. Well, I don't, I don't disagree, but I think Austin Nola is now going to get to take some uh, DH as well as catching at bats and possibly even third base. Cause he is somewhat of a versatile player, which is why I think Evan white should be expected to see 600 at bats this year. And it's through sheer volume that Evan white is at this point in which he is now. Now, I mean, if he comes out and just sucks, the option is definitely there for Seattle to send him back, but they don't sign somebody to a big contract like this. If they don't think the guy's going to be able to just walk in and take the job. So I fully believe as our number 14 ranking proves that Evan white will be an impactful player based on the prospect pool that we are drawing from heat from here until 2024, uh, moving on to somebody that will be not a Homer pick of ours, but he is a Toronto blue Jay is Nate Pearson, 23 year old to start this year, 27 at the end of 2024. Um, we're agreeing that this is a guy who will pitch at the big leagues this year. We're just not sure when couldn't come to a consensus on it. Um, but he certainly could start 2021 as Toronto's SP two. Um, I, I actually think he might be the best pitcher on the board right now. Um, as we stand here today, in January of 2020. That doesn't mean I think Mackenzie Gore might not be better long-term. We'll get to Mackenzie Gore later, but I think if you were the only reason Nate Pearson is not starting in Toronto this season is because of the injuries a couple seasons ago. So, you know, I think that's the stuff that is holding him back. His stuff is top tier stuff. And absolutely triple digit fastball. He's honing that command in. And this is a guy who, should already be MLB pitch uh, on MLB pitcher, but isn't well, he's baseball America's number seven this year, a uh, huge jump for him. Uh, he, the stuff has always been, there it was just a matter of can the big frame put it all together. Let's, let's go through the, the rankings. Cause we talked about Forrest Whitley a couple of weeks ago. He's sim- He's kind of like a Forrest Whitley a little bit in my mind in terms of the stuff. He's got an 80 grade fastball. I mean, boom, that's what I like to see. Love it. 65 grade slider on the high end, 55 curveball. The changeup at 55, uh, 55 grade changeup against an 80 grade fastball is going to be a little bit better than it plays, uh, just because of the velocity dip. And the command's about 50, but you know, I, I think that command's a touch higher than 50. I'd put it at 55 and um, flirt with 60 because of the fastball speed velocity. Um, the, the the command for me when you're throwing 103. You just need to not miss over the middle. And I think that gives you a little more leniency with the command. And so that's why I put him at a 55. Um, and, and I think he could grade up to a 60. And I think they're just selling him a little short there. That's why I get excited about him. I think there's more here than people realize. And he's, he's kind of went for a guy that's throwing 103 under the radar, in my opinion. I, I totally agree. If he was on a big market team, if he was a Yankee, uh, if he was a Red Sox, everybody would be all over Nate Pearson. Um, but the fact that he's a blue Jay, there are some tempered expectations with it, with him, but get a skilled pitching coach like Pete Walker 
a guy like Pearson with those tools and see what he can do. You know, he can patch together. What was it like a dozen start of Jacob Wagaspak last year and make him not effective, but make him capable of putting together a couple of quality starts. And you can see what he could do with some real talent. I think that with Hunjin Ryu, he kind of is a completed project, but that doesn't mean that, you know, Walker can't help to make him and other guys on the staff a little bit better. Pearson could certainly benefit from that. Um, too bad. He's not going to have Marcus Stroman there to talk to him. You know what I'm saying? Roto Ronnie. Uh, <laughs> so as we move on from Pearson, I'm going to go ahead and crack one more here, Ty. Ooh, oh yeah. Um, and I just realized this and I, I'm not going to apologize, but I was able to get away with, the dingers rankings getting three Mariners in the top 14. And here's the number two guy, the second highest Jared Kelnick, their uh, future second best outfielder. <laughs> uh, and there are four Mariners prospects in the top 25. Oh my goodness. Um, well, I think it just says where they're at though. Right. Like, I mean, as an organization, they're, they're on the rebuild and they've built their team to start seeing some of these guys come out the next couple of years. So, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with having them. I think it says more about where they're at as an organization than it does about our list. Definitely. The reason that we're not seeing the Houston Astro players here is because they were the ones that were crowding this list five years ago. And uh, they all and, went to Arizona. And, and they were banging the trash can. <laughs> so to speak. did you see so side note i saw this yesterday it made me laugh really hard did you see you know uh gritty the mascot from philly he was he was yeah. trying to cheer up the the crowd and he was banging on the drum like do 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 and he had the houston astros sticker on the drum <laughs> i appreciated that a lot uh, and for a hockey <laughs> mascot to be going over to baseball beautiful stuff uh, that's why somebody said have you seen the new houston astros prospect for this year and then it was a picture of a garbage can i'm like oh <laughs> not too yeah. soon so but back to jared kalnick um New York Mets fans don't like him. He's got no talent, but for everybody else in baseball, he is a future stud. And I don't think we're going to have to worry about seeing him this year. I certainly think he is a late 2021 guy um, coming into his own in MLB time. Pardon me in 2022. And I mean, the guy is a very good fielder. He has great bat speed. This is somebody that I think can be a top of the order type of guy. Now, I don't know if, uh, JP Crawford is leadoff material in your perfect fantasy thing, or if it's going to be like a Kellenic, um, what would it be like Kellenic Crawford, uh, Julio, uh, this, is your, this want... is your batting order right now. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of like the perfect Mariners 2022 opening day. Well, if, you know, like the... Smith, right? Yeah. So he'll still be ninth. <laughs> yeah, where he belongs. Um, you know, if Kalenic's one, um, you know, Shed Long's a lefty. I could see him potentially being that two-hole guy to, to see. I was thinking over. he's like a five-six, but well, yeah, okay. I, I, I'm. This is the way I've always built lineups: uh, lefty in the two-hole. Uh, that's a, that's a huge piece for me. And I, I'm pretty confident Shed Long's a lefty. Uh, I don't know that guarantee. So I'm going to do I'll a check. quick double check. I'll check. I got it. I'm already there. Uh, he bats left-handed. So I did nail that one. Uh, I like Dinger. him there, but then, then <laughs> I like to see Evan White coming in there. Like I really want him entrenched there and I want someone to rip that away from him. Uh, cause I, the other part is I just don't know who else it's going to be. It's not going to be Seager. 
hopefully he moves on at some point for the Mariners. Um, and then you start talking about guys like Kyle Lewis being that guy. I don't know that Kyle Lewis is going to be a three hole hitter. I think Kyle Lewis kind of profiles closer to like a, um, uh, what's the Jesus. I'm having a blank. I keep wanting to say Lewis Brinson and that's not the right guy. To, uh, Lorenzo Kane is who I'm thinking. That's who, that's what I like Kyle Lewis as. So a guy that's going to give you consistent at bats and, and a little bit of pop, but not a ton. Uh, that's what I like Kyle Lewis profiling as. So I don't know that he's a three. I like him as either um, a unique abstract one, or I like him as a five or a six. So uh, I think Seattle's still missing that four power bat. I don't know where they're going to get that one from just yet. Yeah. Cause you know, Fogelbach's he's not the guy, but uh, maybe, maybe Julio develops. Uh, I think we might be mentioning him. Surely. Uh, so yeah, well, we like, we like Kellenic. We love the potential and he is number 12. Now number 11 is Casey Mize, the despised Casey Mize, Detroit starting pitcher, number one overall pick in the 2018 draft. He will be 22 when next season starts and 28 when 2024 ends. I think I messed that up. 27, I believe. Um, his ETA to settle in is certainly 2021. However, um, I don't see any reason why he will not be pitching for Detroit in September. They could have a completely different looking rotation, much like Kansas city come September and that AL central could have a really cool look um, down the stretch, even for those teams that aren't competing. Um, he's a stud, you know, he came in and very much kind of like uh Correa was the number one pick and, but people didn't think he was necessarily the best talent in the draft. And he came out and did perfectly fine for himself last year, uh, had the perfect game, right. Or the no hitter in double a no hitter. Yeah. Um, but then had, had a little bit of injury trouble and was still a, a good pitcher. So he started in high A, moved to double A, finished in double A in Erie with those Seawolves. And my goodness, I can't wait until my sister-in-law gets me one of those hats. Uh, they got a cool little cartoony logo. I like it. Well, the one thing I'll say with Mize, I think he's going to cause the most conflict this season for the Tigers because they're going to have that, let's call it the Chris, Chris Bryant uh, problem where he's going to be ready to come up. They have zero reason to put him in Detroit. And I mean, zero. Uh, So I think that's going to be the hardest part for them this season. The reality is that nobody else around them is ready he's going to be good enough and they got a little lucky that he got hurt towards the end of last year. And they might be able to say, well, we're going to be cautious with them because of that. And they want to stretch him out, but there's, he's ready. I, I, he's definitely ready to be major league uh, caliber this season, I think. And on some other lists, Ty, I have noticed, I mentioned it to you that Matt Manning has passed him. Uh, you know, the lists are irrelevant. There's, there's a lot of them out there. That's a different episode we'll get into with all that stuff. But Casey Mize is the guy. And I love the fact that people somewhat doubt him. I mean, he is your, you know, to me, he's like your Peyton Manning kind of, this is the guy, you know, give yeah. him, give him the ball and let him do his thing. He's going to good, do good things for you. And we're going to get four full years of Casey Mize pitching, hopefully 25 plus starts. Um, you never know with pitcher injuries. However, we're going to not take that into consideration because you can't take into consideration an injury history when it's been limited. If the guy like Puck has had some troubles, we can, you know, add a little bit more to that. But, um, you know, a few little scoffs here and, and we're okay with Casey Mize. Now, the top 10, we have made it. 
We will one by one mention these players and go through bits and bobs on each guy. Starting number 10, we are ready. Wanda Franco, Tampa Bay Ray, shortstop infield prospect, 19 years old starting this year. He'll end 2024 as a 24 year old. I am predicting a mid point of 2022 arrival. And I know we're catching some flack for it. Um, we're considering this the realistic Tampa Bay way. Name the last player they rushed up that was successful. Don't give me Matt Moore. It's David Price is the guy. <laughs> that's that's the only guy, I think, in the history of their organization, to be honest. And he started as a reliever, Yeah, right? Unless, that, unless, you count, and, unless you count Pena, who got shipped over from Oakland and forced to kind of figure it out in Tampa Bay. But, um, you know, for me, this is going to be the most controversial guy on our list, no questions. Uh, you know, everyone has him number one right now, everyone. And we were talking about it before we jumped on. I love his right-handed swing. His left-handed swing leans, leaves a lot to be desired. Um, there's, there's good bat speed on both sides. The bat control on the left side has me concerned. I think, again, you see this a lot with shortstop prospects. They get overhyped because they're generally athletes. And they have the defensive side. They usually have the arm. There's lots to get excited about. But from a fantasy perspective and not – how do you make our team better at the major league level, which is what most rankings are done on fantasy wise. He's not a lock, right? He's going to be good. And whether that deteriorates a little bit at the higher levels, who knows? We're not saying he doesn't have the potential to be the best guy in this list, but for the next couple of years, you're not going to see that. And right. that's Rob's point. So, you know, don't get overexcited about a guy that's three years ago, looking at you, uh, Adley Rushman owners right now. And so this is kind of a similar scenario. Just don't get too far ahead of yourself. Don't sell the farm to get a guy that may be the guy. <laughs> it's true, Ty. And, and this is something that I made the statement, I think New Year's Day or something was, you know, like um, bold statement for the 2020s is that uh, Wander Franco is going to disappoint every single dynasty owner that has him because the hype is out of control with them. And in every points format, he is going to uh, disappoint because he just won't get enough points, especially if Tampa Bay does what they do, which is they don't hand jobs over to players. They get guys to come up and earn them. They bring them up and tease them with them. Um, you know, Wander Franco is going to have to see double a pitching. And I assume that's going to be for a full season. And if not a full season, the bulk of this year if he goes and starts at, at double A, he might finish at triple A. I see no reason why you would rush a 19-year-old when you already have pretty good stability within your middle infielder or your middle infield. And then you have 2021 in which he could be starting at triple A in the sense that starting his triple A career, not having seen it at bat yet. And Tampa Bay can still be in that win now window where Franco is going to have to be good in order to get promoted. And even when he's good. Tampa Bay will need to match that. Otherwise, as we talked about with Casey Mize, there's no point in bringing him up. If they're not in a race, why bring him up? Tampa Bay is all about control. We hear it in Toronto all the time. You know, they want to get um, control over players. They want those years. They want to be able to count those. You know, I think they talked at the last trade deadline or maybe it was two years ago and they got like 43 years worth of control in yeah. the players they got back and everyone's like scratching their head like, come on, Ross Adkins. Like, is this the way to talk? But that's Tampa Bay baseball. 
you know, that's Cleveland baseball. That's, that's successful team baseball. So yeah. I don't see Franco getting pushed up, which immediately, if we're going with a five-year window here in 2020, you're losing 20% of the overall production possible because he's not playing in 2021. I think you're losing it again, which means when he does come up possibly halfway through this five-year window, we think he could be that good that he could be the 10th most productive guy on the list. That's saying something. It's not an insult to him, but I have not seen him face a double A pitcher yet. And he only played six games in, I think, Dominican Winter League. The numbers were not outstanding. Again, it was six games, small sample. But I want to see the guy in double A. I want to get a good idea of when he's going to come up. But at this point in time, I can't put him any higher. As much as I think everybody else is too aggressive on him at number one, I, I'm not willing to do that. I didn't want to put him inside the top 10. He worked his way there. Yeah, I agree. And you've seen countless shortstops before him overhyped. So that's where we're just trying to give you the cautionary tale is just be careful. That's not to say he couldn't be a perennial MVP. We're just saying be cautious. And that moves perfectly into this next point of we want Wander Franco to prove it. Number nine on the list, Nick Madrigal, Chicago White Sox, second baseman. He's a 22-year-old. He'll be 27 at the end of 2024. He has been proving it. Last yeah, year as a oh college bat. What up? College bat. Thank you. As a 22 year old last year, he started in high A at Winston Salem, went to Birmingham for uh, 180 at bats, and then finished at triple A with Charlotte. And his line got better as he moved along. Um, really, really good numbers at double A with a 341 and 851 OPS, and at triple A, 331 and an 822. Now he's not hitting the home runs. This, I don't know. I don't want to call him Jose Altuve because Altuve hits home runs, but this is a guy that puts the ball in play, gets on base, does what you want him to do. And he's stealing bases. Last year, he stole 35 bases, had a 311 average and a 792 OPS at the end of the year in 473 at bats. I love it. That's a fantasy player right there, people. I took him arguably too high in our Roto Listener League. I don't care. He's my second <laughs> baseman. This is a guy that I see hitting me up well in six of the eight categories we're playing and possibly seven. Like the K's are going to obviously be the thing to kind of watch with them. But last year, Ty, are you ready? 44 walks, 16 strikeouts. Yeah, I mean, his, oh! his strikeout numbers are ridiculous. Like I know. He, like he, he struck out 3% of the time last year. Yeah, Three. he ball is in play and he's taking walks. Like, the thing oh, I that, love it. The thing that is a huge, huge plus for me, and it just shows you this is more of an old, old school kind of profile, right? We haven't seen a lot yeah. of these guys uh, the last handful of years. I think they're going to be a little bit more valuable again because there's such a lack of guys that can get on base. His WRC at double A last year was 150. Like, that's significant and you should be excited about that. Um, so that's something, um, you know, I'm, I'm watching what we're looking at here. The OPS was still 851 at that same double A and it was even better at triple A where it was, what's that end up being 822. He was, yeah. He was down a little bit, but he also at, at double or sorry, at triple A didn't get as many at bats. 
So he could have done more damage, just like the stolen bases. He was 17 to start the year at his first stop. He was 14 at his, at double A, and then he was three at triple A. So I think he was working on different things. And I'm sure when he got to triple A, it was probably a lot more about adjust to the pitching. Don't worry as much about running the bags. And he probably projects for 25 stolen bases at the major league level too. Yeah. Like, yeah, this isn't a guy that's going to stop because he slowed down at triple A. I, I love love what magical is able to do very excited um i definitely think he is the best second base prospect in baseball one of the top infield prospects period um love magical still think wish maybe we should have moved him up higher number eight jesus the lizard lizardo the jesus lizard is that is that the one you give him lizard yes jesus lizard um Oakland starting pitcher to start the year at 20, age 22, finish uh, 2024 at 27 years of age. I guess I did this on a couple of ours and wrote 28. Don't know how guys are getting that old in that period of time. Anyway, uh, he, he's he's been up. This is his year. Do you think he's starting with Oakland? There, it's a crowded rotation. Well, and just to correct the birthday thing, it's because they start the year and end the year it, because of with their, their birthday. birthday. Yeah. Well, their birthday falls so that they have an extra year technically age wise. Anyway, but um, it should be to 27, not to 28. I, I, that's what I mean. I accidentally gave him split too many. Uh, but hey, the, the Jesus lizard is a guy that I love for the reason <laughs> Jesus that he, lizard. <laughs> it's, it's my profile, right? He's a low ceiling guy or sorry. Geez, I always say it backwards. Uh, I'm like dyslexic when it comes to saying it's because floor. you have low ceilings at your house, right? That's true. Yeah. The, the, yeah. That's just, <laughs> that, exactly is that it? it? I don't know. I don't know. It's either way. Uh, I like the Jesus lizard. I will say it just for the sake of saying it. Uh, I, I love him. I think he's going to be a really good SP three. <clears throat> that's, that's where I see him landing. I don't see him as SP one, which I think he got a lot of hype heading into last year as a potential SP one. I just don't think he's that right. As we talked about Patrick Sandoval earlier, it's okay to love these guys that aren't, legitimate superstar Cy Young guys because they can still be very, very good. And Lizardo is one of those guys. So for me, a lot to like, a little bit to be concerned with. There could still be some growing pains here. This might be the year to acquire him um, if he's off to a slow start, which I could I could predict that yeah. one. That's, that's kind of what I'm waiting for with the, Jesus Lizardo. I want to see him stumble out of the gate because then I can go get him uh, before he kicks it into gear. I think that's a really um, smart comment there, Ty. Uh, he has had good numbers across the board from 17, 18, and last year, 19. He had some injury trouble last year, obviously slowed him down. He only pitched 55 innings for the year. But in 2018, he only pitched 109. And in 17, he only had 43. So this is a guy who, no matter what, is not getting 30 starts this year. Oakland is not a risk heavy team. They are not going to do that to him. So I don't know that he's going to come up and start this year, but he certainly should have some time off this year. Um, you know, rest himself up, whatever, whatever they need to do to have him ready down the stretch. If Oakland is competing and come 2021, he should be there, uh, right alongside puck Montas. I'm not sure what Manaya's contract is, whether he would be back or not. Um, but yeah, a very skilled full house in Oakland, they just have a way of producing talent. So um, 
yeah, we like the numbers on him. He's always over a K per nine. He keeps his walks limited. This isn't somebody that you are worried about giving up a bunch of home runs, especially in Oakland. And they do a good job of getting athletic, good fielders. So Lazardo is primed and he is our number eight guy. Um, I understand number seven here is going to rub a few people the wrong way. And Ty, I know you and I were discussing the seven and eight switch. Didn't happen. Mitch Keller, Pittsburgh Pirates. He is a 23-year-old to start the season, not a 32-year-old like everybody seems to act like he is. And he will finish uh, 2024 as a 27-year-old. He appeared last year. Um, he is now, as I have stated just in our notes, um, just wait until you see the 2020 and beyond Keller. This is not your um, bust prospect here. So um, Mitch Keller is somebody who came in last year, not overly hyped, but certainly thought of to be somebody who would finish the year in the Pittsburgh rotation. He did a crummy job of that with a one in five record, 713 ERA with 11 starts. Uh, I owned him in a points league when he got called off. I was like, oh, good. And I think he blew up his first start, maybe even his first two starts. And I was immediately like, well, crap, now I can't even trade him if I wanted him. I wanted to. But he finished last year at 48 innings pitch. So he is still technically a prospect. And um, for all intensive purposes, Pittsburgh should certainly have him as I think SP3. I don't remember. We haven't done that breakdown yet of exactly where guys should be falling because we still have a few dudes to sign. Um, but even in his 48 crappy innings, 65 strikeouts. Yes, 16 walks. I, I got it. Um, but the FIP was 315. His whip was 1.8, certainly something he can control. And the hits were through the roof at 13 and a half um, for nine. But, you know, the, the walks aren't terrible. You know, the strikeout rate, 12.2. Like, these are good numbers to work with here. And I am more than happy to punch Mitch Keller in on my fantasy team for this year as an SP3, SP4 in the deep leagues. And I've seen him get signed, get traded all over the place in fantasy. People are in on him. I'm just not sure anyone is as high on him as maybe I am, um, which has made the dingers rank high. Ty, do you want to pour a little water? Because right now I am on fire with my Mitch Keller. Hello. <laughs> it's me. We should have opened I mean, with that. I know, but you, got, you got too excited. I couldn't, I couldn't fit it in without cutting you off. Uh, uh, you should have. Next time, cut me off. Yeah, <laughs> it's worth no, it. Mitch Keller is definitely a guy that I'm with you and I share your sentiment. I think he's totally underappreciated guy. I, I think he's a little riskier than a guy like Jesus Lazardo, and that's why I liked him at eight. You know, he talked or, uh, Mitch Keller at eight instead of Lazardo, but it, it, we're, we're drawing tight lines here. They're both going to be good. Keller for me carries a higher upside, but he also has the potential for a dumpster fire. Whereas I think Jesus Lazardo has less of that. And so ultimately uh, I really like Keller as a value option, whether it's via trade or if you're in a startup league, he should slide down the board way further than he really should. Yeah. He just went in our Roto league somewhere, I think North of two twenty, And I was pissed thinking that I could have waited longer. Um, that's my fault. And I'm contemplating whether I want to try. I don't even know who got him, but I'm contemplating on whether I want to try to acquire him over the course of this weekend for maybe some upcoming picks or something like that. Because I truly believe that Keller will settle in well. Um, moving on to our number six guy. Hello. 
you, you wanted Adele, but I had to throw Lionel in there. Yeah, no, I'm cool with it. Another post hype. And this is Kata Kiboom, Washington. We talked two episodes ago, maybe, about how things seem to be shaping up really well for Carter Keboom in Washington because of all those crafty veteran signings that they have. Um, I had just have him listed as an infielder. I didn't think it was right to put him in as a specific position as, you know, shortstops kind of trade turners. And um, as long as he's not injured and you've got second base, that could be a couple of vets. You've got third base. That could be a couple of vets. We think third base is where he should be, but you know, whatever, regardless, he came up in 2019 did not fare well. 20, uh, 20 will be his year. It'll be the year when everybody goes, key boom. I love you. Well, um, I, I'm trying to get the right sound clip here. Cause I think it's appropriate for him. And I don't know how much it's a cowboy. Uh, Duke meet Woody, Woody meet Duke kaboom. Canada's <laughs> right. So from, from Toy <laughs> <Duke> Story 4, <laughs> so I need, I need to get that sound bite clipped out onto the board here. Cause yeah. uh, Keanu Reeves as, as Duke kaboom is going to be a great way for us to talk about Carter kaboom in the future. Well, it's uh, funny at work today, Ty, we were listening to Nellie's batter up because, um, our, uh, well, she would like to become our official, uh, Colombian scout. Um, <laughs> this is Mariana, the other, one of the other chefs that I work with. And, uh, she was saying, um, something about batter up. And I said, well, do you know what movie this is from? And Ty, do you know what movie, uh, this was on the soundtrack of batter up for Nellie? Batter up. Yeah, um, it was I, obviously it was a baseball movie. Is it? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to. Th- nope, I don't know it. It was Hardball with Keanu Reeves. Really? And I don't know if he's a cop in that or what his role is, but yeah, that's that's the movie. Wasn't he a degenerate gambler that had to do? Ah, time? that's right. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. It was like a poor man's Mighty Ducks. Yeah, he's the anti Gordon Bombay. <laughs> yes. Um, but anyway, so back to the, the whole show topic of Carter Keboom. <laughs> um, yeah, he sucked last year when he came up. There are no two ways about it. A 128 average, 491 OPS. Um, he, I think it was his first game he hit two dingers, and then it was just crap after that. He only got 11 games and 39 at-bats. But in AAA, he was awesome. A 300, 303 average, a 902 OPS. Uh, 100 strikeouts to 68 walks, 16 dingers, uh, only a handful of stolen bases. But the guy's good. He sprays the ball around. He's a good fielder. This is somebody who I think is perfect to fold into Washington and kind of slide under the radar this year. Now, I know hype on him, hype on him should be down. It better be down um, because of his performance last year. So I would go in and try to strike with a lot of fury and get him in some leagues and where, where I've seen him available. I haven't approached anyone yet, but I'm circling because yeah. I want well, him. And ultimately a lot of people see Trey Turner and they're like, Oh, this guy's never going to play. So yeah, he's blocked. You know, yeah. But I mean, he's not blocked by Howie Kendrick who got hurt just with us mentioning his name. So uh, easy, think- easy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love Howie Kendrick as much as anybody, but it's only when he's on the field and yeah. that's not that often. So, you know, I think that's a guy, but let's move into another, you know, middle infield prospect that I think um, was first overhyped and now probably overhyped a second time. And that's Gavin Lux. This is a guy that everyone saw Corey Seager void from that Los Angeles Dodger lineup. And they're like, Oh, Gavin Lux is the next big deal. Well, guess what? Corey Seager is still a really good left-handed bat. 
I, I don't see him getting removed. I've grabbed him wherever I can in every single league because I think Corey Seager is oh in fantasy baseball. Yeah, and so Gavin Lux is a guy that, you know, we talked about it before the show, I think could profile as like an Aaron Hill type. The difference is Aaron Hill had the benefit of playing in Toronto, Boston, uh, and in some other homer-friendly parks in the AL, whereas Gavin Lux is playing at Dodger Stadium, which is notorious for decreasing the home run pop for everybody except for Cody Bellinger and Jock Peterson. So... I think that's something to be aware of with Gavin Lux is I think the power profile that everyone gets excited about isn't all it's cracked up to be. That's my big concern here. That said, I do think he's going to win the job from Kiki Hernandez, which is what everyone's kind of putting out there, but I just don't see him as an absolute superstar. Like everyone wants him to be. And I'm with you on that. He's high on this list because we're pretty confident he's going to be getting 500 plus at bats the next five years. And he's going to be productive even in a brief MLB appearance. Uh, what were we here? 75 at bats, 247, 705 OPS. He had two dingers. Uh, where was he for stolen bases here? Da, 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 da. Just, just a couple and two and a three and a half to one K to strike ratio. However, that's a guy who's not getting regular playing time and just coming up. But in double A and triple A last year, he was really damn good. 347 average, 1,028 OPS, 26 home runs. Now this is, again, this is the juice ball. And that's not to discount it. That's just to say that the numbers are good and they shouldn't be terrible across the board. Fun fact here, Ty. Gavin Lux is our what? Number five guy. Uh, Wander Franco is our number 10. In 2018, early in the season, I dropped both guys off of my 2014 points league in a CBS league where you can only have 12 minor league guys. And I proceeded to win that year and be the runner up last year, because it's not always about having guys that are a little further away. Cause at that point in time, Gavin Lux was like a 250 prospect and Franco was somewhere in and around the same. The guys were too far away. It wasn't worth having them at that point in time. I'm still glad that I made the move. And I know that I dropped Wander Franco and kept um, James Harrison, James Harrison, Jason Harrison, uh, who was in Pittsburgh at that point in time, but he was a bench bat for me, but I needed that insurance versus the high end prospect because it's about winning in fantasy baseball. Not it's about winning your league, not having the shiny prospects. So yeah. for me, Gavin Lux is somebody who might not reach the triple a ceiling that, I mean, obviously he set it incredibly high. Um, but he certainly should be a useful player. But in LA, they have a way of taking away players' ability to peak unless it's Cody Bellinger because there are so many damn infielders. And that's yeah. my fear with Gavin Lux long-term is that he needs to carve out that niche to go from a 500 at back guy to 600. Yeah, I mean, the upside's there. I just think it's not quite as high as his, his AAA numbers. Uh, you know, keep in mind, again, PCL League, PCL yeah. League, Cannot say that enough. Uh, keep that in mind. So moving ahead to a guy that I think everybody on the planet knows is an absolute stud. Uh, the biggest concern for this guy is that, as you so elegantly pointed out in the notes, is the future ace of Team Blister. And <laughs> that's that's McKenzie, McKenzie Gore, who uh, is definitely off limits for anybody outside of the Padres organization via trade. And if he is available in any league, uh, that owner should be shot in town square. Um, <laughs> and and that's, that's just putting it bluntly, guys. Uh, this kid can pitch, no questions. Uh, but, you know, I don't know that 2020 is the season we see him. 
uh, unless there's a, a parade of injuries for the Padres who do have some reasonable pitching depth. Um, I think there's a guy that no, everyone forgot about there. Uh, Jacob Nix is a guy that I think is going to pop up under the radar in San Diego and give them the perfect excuse to hold Mackenzie Gore back for one more season. So with that said, we're thinking at best a second half to late in the year appearance for him. But Mackenzie Gore stud through and through. This is a guy who's got the pitches, got the skills and ability and health on his side. He is going to be the most productive and highest ranked pitcher. So top three, Ty, who do you think of these three has the coolest name? One, two, or three. Don't say Hello. who they are. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> it's Joe Adele. I mean, not only do I get to use the sound bite, but it's Joe Adele for sure for me. That's true. I agree with you. Uh, now, I I really like our number three guy. Uh, shout out to DePoto. Julio Rodriguez. Uh, outfielder for Seattle, 19-year-old. When this season starts, 23-year-old. Um, I, I don't want to see him later this year, but I think Seattle's going to bring him up late in 2020. Uh, he was at double a last year doing his thing, Arizona fall league, uh, doing his thing. He's great. He's, he's going to get stronger and I think increase his home run numbers, uh, every year for the next several years, because he is that good of a talent and Julio Rodriguez. I, I guess he surprised some people. I, I certainly wasn't surprised knowing that he was a good player two years ago, but here we are. He's really moved his way up the prospect list. And I am excited about Julio Rodriguez. Obviously, if you look at, you know, the guys that are most likely above him, once we mention it, it's going to be obvious that by mid season, he's probably going to be the top guy um, on everybody's list. Well, I guess Wander Franco is still going to be kicking around there, but um Realistically, Julio Rodriguez, highest highest outfielder. I think he's got the biggest ceiling or highest ceiling of all these guys. And the and not, I mean, the floor we don't really know yet. We need to see how he is at AAA. But yeah, and and while I disagree with some of your sentiment there, I do think he's going to be a very good player. Um, I think there's lots to like here. the The big thing I'm watching for um, is the batting average here. I, I can see it's a it's a bit of a profile that. Uh, I'm concerned with uh, the the contact rate over time. All the scouts have him, you know, very highly touted and not concerned with it. Uh, I just, you know, he's a guy that I just got this bad feeling about and no, no. real rhyme or reason just scares me. And we've talked about some of those guys, uh, you know, the Chris sales of the world that I just avoid like the plague. That's he's just one of those guys for me. Uh, I don't know why I can't put my finger on it just yet, but uh, the numbers are, are, you know, exciting. Like you look at what he did in 2019. This um, is sorry, Ty, just to interrupt it. I said double A, that's my mistake. I, what I meant to say was at both A levels, but cause I'm an idiot. I just wrote a and a beside each other. So it was low a and high a, those are the numbers. <laughs> sorry. There, though, so. Yes, I know. It's a, but just because somebody's going to say you said double A didn't play double A. My apologies, everybody. It was low a high a. 
Yeah, Sorry, just Ty. as he progressed through the levels and even into the Arizona Fall League, the OPS plummeted. And so that's my big concern. He's still young, still has lots of time to develop that. But um, that's my big concern with him is just what the contact rate and the patience looks like with better pitching. Uh, the power is going to be there. I think that's the high upside for him. Uh, and you talked about it earlier. We were talking about that Seattle lineup he does profile as potentially that middle of the order guy that was missing. So I like that as a, as a high upside for him. Uh, I'm just, I'm going to monitor that batting average and in, in his OPS over the next couple of years to see uh, how he progresses. Yeah, rightfully so. In 65 at bats at high, he only had two home runs and in 263, he had 10 at uh, low a in the Sally league. That's fine. You know, th- this is an 18 year old, pardon me. Oh man. That Waterloo craft is, burpee um the numbers overall are great at an abbreviated period of time at high a he was a 462 batting average with a 1250 ops but it's too small of a sample to really say so when you combine both for the year 326 line 930 ops and the strikeout to walk ratio they're both low totals so he only struck out 76 times and 25 walks so if you want to say it's a three to one but realistically the numbers are pretty low the, a lot of a lot of balls in play for him so i'm 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 highly encouraged i'm really excited about it i think if it wasn't for the contract that the number two guy got rodriguez for me would have been there um number two do you want to go ahead and introduce yeah, so you, you like Rodriguez as the highest ceiling. I actually think Luis Robert has the highest ceiling uh, of these top three guys. Um, ridiculous last season, right? Three levels, uh, jumped from high A all the way to triple A last season. 32 home runs, uh, rough batting average, uh, 315, give or take. Um, on quick math there, the all the peripheral numbers are, are pretty strong. The big red flag here is the K percentage. Uh, you know, with all the other numbers, you can't be that upset about it, but um, certainly something to get excited about. Where do you put Luis Robert here? Number two, he's these two on our list. I mean, like, you know, three, whatever, but two, three, he got the big contract. He's ready to go. He's an exciting player. He did really well down the stretch last year. There was, I, I kind of feel like when the scene started, he was going to be a make or break, a boomer bust. And now he's boom. So, well, nope. he was a guy that I wanted everywhere. I had him as a boom everywhere. Uh, I really, really did. I was, he was a guy that I wanted really bad. And in one of our leagues last uh, two years ago, when we drafted, he was a guy I was all over and he went way too early for my liking. Uh, but kudos to whoever, I can't remember who that was that got him that early, but um, great reach. Uh, I think it worked out really, really well. Um, I ended up with, Adrian Morhan, who I still really liked, but uh, Robert was my guy that I wanted real bad. So this is a guy I've been on for a while. Uh, this this Chicago White Sox pipeline is exciting. They've got a couple guys in that pipeline um, that I'm super, super excited about. And this guy certainly leads the list. It's probably going to start center field uh, out of camp, in my opinion. Uh, I think somebody's got to stop him from that. Yeah, he certainly should be given the job. It's just a matter of can they get him to a corner outfield spot so he might have a little bit easier of a time adjusting to Major League Baseball. So um, you've heard number three at Rodriguez. You've got number two, so that means number one. Hello. It's me. 
Yes, that's right. Joe Adele, everybody, Los Angeles. Uh, Mike Trout 2.0, if you will. He will be 20 years old when the season starts and 25 years old at the end of 2024. We certainly see him potentially breaking camp, but first half of 2020, he's going to be up and he is going to be getting every day at bats. Uh, last year, he had an abbreviated, I mean, he had a big, big 2019 at high A, AA, AAA. I mean, a lot of the guys on this list, Ty, especially the top 19 or top 20, They've been moving and that's with good reason. Cause there's, there's no need for major league teams to slow these guys down in the minors. It's a matter of, do they do that second trip and do they end up with 500 at bats at AAA, or do they come up? And last year uh, in the PCL, as you had stated before, is a league to kind of be cautious about his batting average was 264 with a 676 OPS. So not promising. However, in double a uh, mobile, he was 308 with a 944 OPS. And I mean, Joe Adele is just a talent. He's not a high home run guy. He had 10 dingers last year in 305 at bats um, where we stolen bases here. Seven, he chipped in with seven, but this is a baseball player. This is a guy who I think is going to just fill the stat column for us. Uh, the strikeout to walk was three to one, but again, we're talking about 94 strikeouts. It's a little high or just under 30%. Um, but we're believing that at AA and AAA, Adele is working on things more than he is just being him, his natural self. Um, yeah, I mean, he's got to come out with a absolutely rocking spring training to make it out of camp. If not, you're going to see him on the Super 2 deadline, uh, probably without question. He, he would be a little bit more of a lock if he didn't miss a good chunk of last season. Think he would have progressed the way we want him to see, and his AAA numbers wouldn't be as scary as they sound. But this is a, like Robbie said, this is an absolute stud. He's the for sure highest floor of these top three guys, in my opinion. Uh, but he also carries the upside to outplay both of the other two outfielders here that we have at the top of our list. So I, I love Joe Adele. I got shares of him wherever I can. I have several spots with Joe Adele, and I couldn't be more excited to own him. Yeah, I'm certainly looking looking to see what kind of uh, what kind of season we're gonna have, what kind of 2020 we're gonna have out of him. But that caps our top 50 prospects that we think are going to be the most productive prospects in Major League Baseball for the next five seasons. We would love to hear your feedback on this at Dinger's Pod. Follow Ty at Turney Boss. Follow myself at Robbie Baseball One. Let us know where we have screwed up before the guys have even arrived at spring training so that we can take a photo of your tweet, remember it, and haunt you later with it. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and make sure you take this episode, you share it on Twitter, you tag us, and you tell us what player you think we got right or wrong. Uh, we want to hear from you. Start the fire. And like Robbie said, we will burn you up if you come at us. Absolutely. And we want to add some fuel to the fire. So we are about to start our dynasty player rankings. We've seen a few lists come out. Um, I have been diligently working on my own tie, working on his. We are going to start, I believe, with starting pitchers. And if not, we might do catchers just because we always like to get rid of a four minute episode when we can. Well, and we want to talk about Mitch Garver for an extended period of time, like we always do. <laughs> I feel like it's been two episodes since I've got to mention Mr. Mitch, who did go in the Roto League to Roto Ronnie, which I thought was hilarious that he went that early in a Roto League um, inside Ronnie the top 500. 
Ronnie just didn't know, didn't know what to do when Strowman went. He was just He was lost. so upset. Yeah, I just, yeah, he was just in a corner pouting and he's like, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna grab myself a cold beer and some Mitch Garber to sulk. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, uh, Reese White was uh, complaining about him on Twitter and Reese is one of the members of the league who we are going to have on a later pod once we finish the draft to pick his brain about how he built his uh, dynamic team and uh, Ronnie Roto is somebody we are not going to have on the pod, but he is welcome to leave us a message and tell us how we have screwed up. Um, because as he has no issue telling anybody in the league chat when they have made a bad pick, I love it. Coming from a guy who claims to have been playing fantasy baseball since he was, I believe, 13 years old. Sure thing, Roto Ronnie. Sure thing. He was 13 at one point. He said he's been playing for 20 years, and I think he said he was like 32 or 33. So, um, yeah. But I feel like last year he said he was playing for 15 years, and then this year he said it's been 20. So next year, he will have said he's been playing for 25 years, uh, <laughs> which means he started when he was like eight or nine. So it's great. I love it. He, his fish, you know, if he's a fisherman, they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> Pretty soon his fish will not have been able to fit in the boat. He will have had to go up to shore like he was fishing for sturgeon. <laughs> I, I I love that. I also want to just end really quickly on this note because you were coming at him for the last couple episodes and Bruce Dark Gratterall, and here you are taking him in the listener league. Uh, okay, just I, an absolute draft. That's an absolute Ronnie Roto move right there. Uh, and that's, <laughs> that's a, a great fake spot. Out. To, that's a great spot to leave it. It's been another episode of Dingers with Robin Tyler. We'll see you next week. This is Dingers, way more than fantasy baseball. We keep it real when we talk and knock it straight out the park. <laughs> Let's see the stats. What's the average draft position? What kind of plays you making? Check the wins above replacement. Check the lineups and the points. This I gotta see. What's your path to victory? Are they aiming for a dynasty? Get points going head to head. Please don't do me no favors. We're always watching waivers. Ain't no minor league. This is major. Yeah. Dingers. Let's go.